Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 17 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for joining us in the wildlands today, friend. Whether this is your first episode of the Retro Wildlands or you've been with us since the beginning, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit by the campfire and listen to me tell some stories about the video games that I've played when I was younger, or listen to me tell you about the games that I've finally gotten around to. Exploring new-to-me games and revisiting some classics has been an absolute blast these last few months, and I'm having fun talking about them. On today's episode, we're heading back to the original Nintendo to talk about a game that I know is near and dear to many gamers' hearts. It's a game I never got a chance to really sink my teeth into, but all of that has finally changed. Today, we're talking about Mega Man 2. I'm sure when you think of retro video games, Mega Man 2 pops up more than it doesn't. If it's not the memorable gameplay or the replayability, it's certainly because of its badass soundtrack. When I started gaming at a pretty young age, I never got a chance to play any of the Mega Man games, let alone Mega Man 2. There was always something so familiar about it, though. I often wonder if I did play it before, or maybe I just can't remember when that was. But much like Castlevania, I know what I know about Mega Man 2 from its amazing soundtrack. Even if you've never played this game before, and are somewhat interested in older video games, you've probably heard some of the music from this game. The beginning part of Dr. Wily's castle is one that will always stand out to me. Mwah, so good. I had a really good time with Mega Man 2, and I'm looking forward to telling you all about this game and sharing my experience with it. So go ahead and grab a seat by the campfire, my friends. My canine companions, Dee Dee and Dexter, will be around to administer the obligatory sniffings, so be sure to place your palms face up and no sudden movements. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Do you remember the cartoon Dexter's Laboratory that was on Cartoon Network way back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think? Dexter's sister was named Dee Dee, and I just remembered that over the weekend. I feel like I need to clear this up really quick. We did not name our dogs after the characters in that cartoon. Dexter, he's our little old man chihuahua. My wife named him after Dexter Morgan from the TV show Dexter. The one where he's a serial killer working with the good guys as a blood spatter expert, I think it was. We have an unhealthy fascination with serial killers in my house. And my younger chihuahua, Didi, is named after the dog from Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. My wife brought Didi home one day when he was a puppy, and she let me name him, and I just happened to be playing that game at the time, and well, that's where the names come from. So there's your bit of house nomad trivia for you all. Alright, now before we get into today's episode and talk about Mega Man 2, I want to take this time to get my usual plugs out of the way and give anyone interested a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. This is where I'll talk about what's been going on around here, what's potentially coming down the road for future content, what games I might be playing, how the podcast is doing, and whatever else I feel like letting you all in on. I try to keep it light and engaging, so please stick around. But if none of this interests you when you're just here for my Mega Man 2 thoughts, you can skip ahead about 5 to 7 minutes. If you want to know exactly where to go, I should have dropped timestamps into the show description if you don't want to waste your time with that little slider thingy on your podcast app. 
So this past weekend, I was fortunate enough to go to my very first gaming expo in Columbus, Ohio, called the Torg Gaming Expo. Torg, or T-O-R-G as it's spelled, stands for The Ohio Retro Gamer. And it was a one-day event that had dedicated areas to play games. They held competitive and open tournaments. There was also a historical exhibit with a ton of old, old retro consoles on display, a kid's area, and a lot more. I got a chance to meet and greet the immortal John Hancock and author Brett Weiss, too. I really enjoyed meeting and talking in person with these gentlemen. They're both on YouTube if you're any at all curious about them, so go ahead and check them out. They were very cool, down-to-earth dudes. There were also a ton of vendor booths down there as well, and I walked away with a pile of new, shiny games from my collection. Some games are pretty common that I've been meaning to get around to, and a couple rarer games I was happy to find, too. Just to give you a small sampling, I picked up Bioshock and Bioshock 2 for the PlayStation 3. I've played through Bioshock Infinite and absolutely love that game, but I've been meaning to go back to the originals. Plus, I keep getting told that I need to play the original Bioshock. There's a pretty big story twist I've been fortunate enough to avoid all this time, so I'm eager to get into that one soon. I also found a pretty good copy of Max Payne 2 for the PlayStation 2. I still need to track down the original, and surprisingly, I didn't find it at the show. Well, at least not in a condition that I was willing to take home. I played the original when I was younger, and I missed out on the sequel, so I'm happy to at least get number two into the collection. Just gotta get the first one, then I'm gonna play those, and probably do some podcast episodes on them. I also picked up a couple random games for my PlayStation Portable collection. I'm slowly working on a complete North American, complete in-box collection, so what I found at the show was more just stuff to fill in the gaps. Games like Luminous 2 and Fat Princess Fistful of Cake. I also picked up a few PSP movies to add to my collection, too. Independence Day was probably my favorite grab. Anytime that movie would pop up on TV, I would always stop what I was doing and watch it. And it had the best movie speech in history delivered by Bill Pullman, in case you've never seen this gem. But out of all the things I picked up, I was excited to get a hold of Silent Hill Downpour for the PlayStation 3 and a game called Lifeline for the PlayStation 2. Now, I know Silent Hill Downpour isn't considered nearly as good as the original Silent Hills, but it's the only one of the Silent Hill games that I haven't played through up to this point, so I was excited to find this game and get it at a pretty great deal. And as far as Lifeline goes, if you've never heard of this game, I encourage you to stop what you're doing and look it up really quick. It's a game for the PlayStation 2 that requires you to use a PlayStation 2 microphone. Basically, in the game, you're an operator trapped in a control room, and you have to give voice commands to an NPC and help them survive whatever it is that you're surviving from in this game. I don't know too much about the story or anything like that, but the premise of the game sounds absolutely amazing. I'm sure the voice recognition is going to be a little touchy, and I'm sure I'll probably get frustrated with it here and there, but I've always wanted to give it a try. I got a good deal on this game as well, and it came equipped with a microphone, so that was a bonus. Outside of everything I saw and the games I came home with, my favorite part was at the very beginning of my time at the expo, 
where my wife and I got a chance to meet up with Randy and Jeremy from the Canned Air podcast. Now, they didn't ask me to bring them up on this podcast or anything. I just wanted to share how cool it was to get to know them a little bit, and I appreciated them taking a little bit of time to talk to my wife and I and share some podcasting advice with me. I've only been doing this for a few months now, but I felt like an equal in that short amount of time, and I really appreciated the advice that was given to me. They really invigorated me and got me really excited for what may lie ahead on this podcasting journey of mine. I really want to give the Retro Wildlands my all and give you all the best show that I can. So with that, I really did just want to give them a quick shout out. Those two gentlemen were absolute legends. Check them out if you're at all interested in pop culture, comics, and video games. So speaking of video games, what have I been playing? I'm still fixing to do a podcast episode on Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII for the Sony PSP. The night before we went to the Tor Gaming Expo, I was able to load Crisis Core onto my PSP Go. You know, the little mini PSP that slides up and down. I've been playing through the game here and there over the course of the last couple weeks, and it just got a lot easier to do so. The PSP Go is so much smaller and easier to carry around, and it is perfect for my busy lifestyle. So at some point in the near future, there will be an episode about this game. I want to make sure I drop it before the Crisis Core remake drops in December of this year. As far as other games, I've been playing Super C on the Nintendo seemingly out of nowhere. I was also able to play it at the Gaming Expo in their free play area, so that was pretty cool to play it on the original Nintendo on a very small TV. Oh, it brought me back to my childhood. I'm sure I'll do an episode on that game soon, but since we recently did Contra, I'll probably wait on that one for a little bit. I recently grabbed Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 for the Nintendo Switch. I only just started playing this game, but I'm liking it so far. I've been in the mood for a dungeon crawler lately that I can use as just a mindless distraction, and I found a copy pretty cheap, and I figured I'd give it a go. And beyond that, I keep meaning to boot up Super Mario World, but I haven't quite done that yet. Soon, though. Probably. Is there a game you think I should consider covering on the podcast? Want to pick my brain about these games that I just mentioned? You can do that and more over on our social media pages. If you want to connect with the show, follow us over on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching at Retro Wildlands. I'm still trying to be relevant on social media, and I explicitly mentioned last week I was going to post a bunch of stuff from the Torg Expo, but I managed to get a whopping three photos, and only three photos, all thanks to my wife. So, big fail on my part. However, I'm still posting photos of my game collection, podcast updates, and other fun stuff, so check us out over there if your walls and timelines need some retro spice. Plus, I just started dropping short preview clips of published episodes on our social social channels. If you like the show and what we're doing around these parts, consider spreading the word. Those short clips, I hope, will be useful to anyone who wants to see what the show is about and get a quick preview, so please share those when you see them with anyone you think might like the show and get some entertainment value out of it. And if nothing else, if you follow the show on social media, we'll follow you back. So if you just want to increase your follower count, I'm your guy. Alright, enough plugs and personal stories. It's time to get into the meat of this episode. 
It's time to talk about Mega Man 2 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Released on December 24th, 1988, we play as Mega Man, a super robot created by Dr. Light in order to stop the evil genius Dr. Wily from realizing his dreams of world domination. In an effort to repel Mega Man, Dr. Wily constructs eight super robots of his own. In order to confront Dr. Wily, we'll have to defeat the eight robot masters by making our way through their stages first. It won't be an easy task, but we cannot allow Dr. Wily to realize his dreams of destruction. So grab your Mega Buster, get your weapons ready, and get equipped. It's time for us to take on Wily's eight robot henchmen and break through to his fortress where we'll show him who the true robot master really is. listen to retro gaming podcasts, watch retro gaming videos, or do pretty much anything in the retrosphere these days, it's hard not to have Mega Man cross my path in some capacity. There are a ton of Mega Man games that span several console generations. There's the mainline Mega Man games, the Mega Man X series, Mega Man Battle Network series, Mega Man Star Force series out on the Nintendo DS, and I'm assuming much more. Plus, there are legacy collections out there that capture a bunch of these games in one place. How many Mega Man games are there? By my calculations, it comes out to be about a metric fuckton. It really is daunting when you think about it, and I think that's one of the reasons it took me so long to dip my toes into the Mega Man waters. I just didn't know where to start. I have Mega Man Maverick Hunter X for my PlayStation Portable, which is a remake of the 1993 Mega Man X, but I never felt the urge to sit down with it. I'm not really even sure why. Maybe the series was just too intimidating. There is certainly a lot of love for this franchise, but truth be told, on the surface, it never really interested me. I know, I know, I could hear the collective gasps. It just wasn't a series I grew up with. However, that is all finally changed, and I can proudly say that I've entered the Mega Man universe. The question that I wrestled with for a little bit, though, was, where do I start? Obviously, I decided to start with Mega Man 2, the topic of today's episode, and starting here just made the most sense. I wanted to go back to the series' roots and work my way outwards. Why not the original Mega Man, you may be asking? It was mainly because, of all the retro Mega Man games out there, I hear nothing but reverence and praise for either Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3. The deciding factor between the two of those was ultimately the music. When I talked about Castlevania on episode 5 of this podcast, I mentioned I knew more about Castlevania's soundtrack than I did the actual game just because I love listening to old NES chiptunes and gaming soundtracks in general. The same can be said about Mega Man 2 for me. The entire soundtrack is just fantastic, and it lends itself to metal really well. 
I follow a few online artists who have done some incredible metal renditions of Mega Man music. So when it came down to Mega Man 2 or 3, the music was the deciding vote. When I ultimately decided to dive in, I had a decent idea of what to expect, just based on what I knew of the game up to this point already from videos that I've seen and stories that were told to me. But what I didn't know was what was really going to be in store for me until I actually got going. And speaking of going, let's dive into this retro beauty, shall we? So, what is this game? Mega Man 2 is a 2D side-scrolling action platformer developed and published by Capcom back in 1988. Players take control of Mega Man, a super robot that was created by Dr. Light in order to stop Dr. Wily, a mad scientist who's out to do what most mad scientists do, try and take over the world. In the first Mega Man game, Mega Man defeated Dr. Wily and his small army of robots, but you clearly can't keep a mad scientist down as Dr. Wily is at it again. This time, though, Wily has created eight robot masters in hopes of taking down our blue hero. Along with this, Wily has created an army of lesser robots and takes up residence in a newly built fortress. It seems as though nothing will stop Dr. Wily and his diabolical plans now. <laughs> well, that is until Mega Man gets wind of Wily's schemes and decides that he's not going to put up with that nonsense. And that right there is really the whole premise of the game. Instruction manuals back in the day usually contained the game's story or expanded on the characters in some way, but the manual for Mega Man 2 is void of pretty much anything story-related, so yeah, we're not really given much here. The most we're given is in the game's opening moments when you fire the game up. If you've seen this before, you know how glorious this moment actually is. Let me see if I can describe it in such a way that it's done some justice. The scene opens at night, with a sprawling cityscape in the background. Everything is shaded with several layers of dark purples and pinks. You get a sense that the city is beaming with life. To our right, and more so in the foreground, is a gray building. At the bottom of the screen, the story unfolds a few words at a time. In the year 2000 and X, whatever that means, a super robot named Mega Man was created. Dr. Light created Mega Man to stop the evil desires of Dr. Wily. However, after his defeat, Dr. Wily created eight of his own robots to counter Mega Man. From here, the camera slowly raises upward like we're scaling the gray building in the foreground. We see more of the cityscape as we go, and eventually a beautiful mountain range. As the city and the mountains fade, we continue to scale to the top of the gray building. As soon as we reach the top, we spot someone up there, almost like they're looking down on the city. Right before the music hits its climax, we recognize him. It's Mega Man without his helmet on. His black hair is waving in the wind, and as soon as we make the realization, the music hits its peak. And the title screen appears. BAM! Mega Man 2! If you 
are not pumped to play this game after seeing that intro, I don't know what to tell you. That opening gets me going every time I see it. Oh, man. G give me just a moment. I need to grab myself a towel. So once the title screen is up, it's time to jump into the game. First thing we're met with is a choice between playing the game on normal or difficult. While researching Mega Man 2 a little bit before recording this, I found out that there is no difficulty option in the Japanese version of the game. The difficult setting is how the game was originally designed, and the normal setting is a dumbed-down version. When playing on normal, Mega Man's attacks cause more damage to the enemy, and their overall health is lowered. Enemies behave differently on normal than they do in the difficult setting I noticed, too. Normal mode really sounds like an easy mode, but I assure you, playing on normal is a pretty formidable challenge, especially if you've never played this game before. You can certainly graduate to difficult if you like, but I argue beating this game on normal constitutes victory in my eyes. When we make our selection, Mega Man puts his helmet on and teleports off. As the game opens, we can choose to start, or we can choose to enter a password. It can be hard to believe this sometimes, but back in the days of the original Nintendo, you couldn't just save your game and shut the console off. <gasps> I know, it's crazy. You either had to shut the system down when you had to stop playing and start all over, or you had to keep your system on all night. This was something that I used to do, actually. I would drape something over the little red light on the Nintendo so my grandparents couldn't see it. Then, when it was time for me to play the next day, I would continue where I left off. But thankfully, this is not the needed case here with Mega Man 2. It has a rather robust password system that allows you to really keep track of where you left off if you had to stop playing the game. Just input the right code, and you'll continue with whatever weapons you've collected, and the robots that you already defeated will stay defeated. When you start a new game, you're met with pictures of the eight robot masters and a symbol for Dr. Wily right there in the middle. This is where the game really begins. Our mission is to defeat the eight robot masters in order to gain access to Dr. Wily's fortress so we can get up in there and take him down. Now the game doesn't just throw us into stages and have us take down the robot masters in a specific order or anything. The order in which we tackle these knuckleheads is completely up to us. Staring back at us, we have the Robot Masters Bubble Man, Air Man, Quick Man, Heat Man, Wood Man, Metal Man, Flash Man, and Crash Man. You can sort of tell this by their names, but each Robot Master kind of has their own gimmick going on, and they use that gimmick in the way that they fight you. Now the most important thing we have to keep in mind here is that when we defeat a Robot Master, Mega Man will absorb their powers and have access to a weapon pertaining to who he defeated. As we defeat more Robot Masters, we'll gain access to more abilities to use, and you're going to need all of them to defeat Dr. Wily by the end. Now, you can tackle these guys in any order that you want, but is there an order that is most preferred? Yes, although I think the best order is probably up for debate according to some of the internet articles that I've read. The interesting thing about the weapons you acquire is that one Robot Master's weapon is another Robot Master's weakness. Here's an example. 
If you defeat Metal Man, you'll gain access to his Metal Blade weapon, which allows you to shoot a metal buzzsaw towards your enemies. Bubble Man takes significantly more damage against the Metal Blade weapon than he does any other weapon. Another example, Bubble Man's weapon is called the Bubble Lead, and it does more damage to Heat Man than any other weapon. So with that philosophy in mind, you sort of want to tackle these guys in a specific order to have the easiest time fighting them. Is this mandatory? Of course not. The beauty of this game is that you can go in whatever order that you want. Mega Man himself comes standard equipped with his Mega Buster weapon, which fires these white little pellet-looking things out in front of him. Now that seems like a weak weapon, and it certainly sounds weak in-game, but the Mega Buster is pretty useful on its own. I've never personally done it, but you can absolutely beat this game using only your Mega Buster, with the exception of a couple spots where you have to use another Robot Masters weapon to move forward. So since we're starting to touch on the Robot Masters and their weapons and playstyles, let's talk about how this game controls, then we'll take a journey into a few of the Robot Masters' layers, and talk about the gameplay as a whole. Mega Man 2's control scheme is fairly simple for what it is. I mean, the controller only has one, two, three, four, five buttons on it, technically. <laughs> now, the instruction manual probably puts it in the best context. The controls for Mega Man are quite simple, but true mastery takes practice and skill. I think that line right there perfectly encapsulates what Mega Man 2 is, along with other tough NES games. Anyone can do well at this game, but you're going to have to give it some time and put your reps in. And where you start with that mastery is with the control scheme. Again, it's simple. Left and right on the directional button will move Mega Man in those directions. Up and down don't really do anything normally, but those are used to climb ladders that you come across. Just put Mega Man in front of a ladder and press the button. Easy. The A button on the NES controller is used for jumping. The longer you hold the button, the higher Mega Man will jump. You can control Mega Man's flight path a little bit when he's in the air, which is great for avoiding enemies or incoming fire. One thing to note while I'm thinking about it, if you're jumping and you're putting yourself over a ladder, pressing up will have Mega Man grab the ladder in midair, so you don't have to start climbing all the way from the bottom. This is something that's a pretty common thing in platformers nowadays, I assume, but back in the day, this was a really nice feature to be sure. Your B button is used for firing your weapon. Like I mentioned before, that's usually going to be your Mega Buster Cannon. Think of it as your gun arm. While useful, it will only fire in the direction that Mega Man is facing. It doesn't fire up, down, or diagonally. But it's not all bad, though. Unlike some heroes, says the game manual, Mega Man can shoot while he's jumping or falling. And that is pretty useful in its own right. Now. Pressing your start button will open up a menu that's going to look pretty bare at the start of the game. From here, you can change your weapons, use an energy tank to restore your health, and see how many lives you have left. It's a two-page menu, and selecting next will move you to the next page. Select what you want, press start again, and bam, you're good to go. So what are these energy tanks that I'm talking about? Let's start off by explaining what it is that they refill which is, you guessed it, your energy. Specifically, your life energy. Your life energy is basically your health in this game, and it's one of the two things that will be on screen. 
You'll find your energy bar in the upper left-hand corner of the screen. As you take damage, the bar will decrease. If you need to refill your health, you can do so by picking up these little energy pellets, which will refill your health a little bit, or the bigger energy balls, which will fill up your health quite a ways. Now, if you come across energy tanks, they're basically med kits that you can carry around with you. I think you can carry a total of four, if I'm remembering right. You'll see these in the environment, and they'll have big black E's on the side of them. Walk over to them, and they'll be automatically added to your inventory. If you're in a pinch and need a health boost, press start to open the menu, and plug one of these bad boys into, I don't know, whatever part of you you stick an energy tank. Using one will refill your health immediately. Energy tanks are a great thing to hang on to for tougher fights or near the end of the game when you're working your way through Wily's Fortress. Early in the game, when you haven't acquired a Robot Master's weapon yet, you'll see another item drop from enemies that seemingly doesn't do anything. It's usually a very small or decently sized blue rectangle. These are actually weapon energy tanks. When you have the Mega Buster equipped, these things don't do anything since the Buster can fire bullets indefinitely. However, when you get another weapon from a Robot Master, it will have limited energy and can only be used so many times. These weapon energy tanks are more or less like ammunition. They refill your weapon energy, easy as that. The cool thing is, if you have a weapon that's low on energy that you aren't using, just switch to that weapon and pick up the energy to refill that weapon. This is a habit that I highly recommend you get into later in the game when you're toting a ton of weapons and things get even harder. Enemies in Mega Man 2 are pretty plentiful too, so if you need to get a hold of some quick life and weapon energy, you can usually find spots to try and get some by killing enemies over and over again. Usually if you move away from an area an enemy was just in that you killed and go back, that enemy will be back for you to kill all over again. There are other enemy types that will constantly be fed into the room as well, so really, there's times that you can just sit still and let them come to you. Usually, if I find a pocket of robot goons like this, I would just hang back, kill them until all my health and weapons were refilled, and then move on. Now, is it just me, or did anybody else find the sound of regaining energy just really satisfying? I don't know what it is, but this just hits the dopamine button in my brain every time I hear it. Alright, so we know the game's basic premise, we have an idea of how to control Mega Man, we talked about life and weapon energy, it's time we go after our first Robot Master. Question is, who's first? Like I mentioned, there's a couple of preferred orders when it comes to tackling Wily's Robo Lackeys. Nine out of ten times, though, people usually start by going after Metal Man, since his Metal Blade weapon is probably the most useful and versatile in the entire game. So with that, it's decided. Let's go kick some Metal Man ass. We teleport on scene. Right off the bat, we can tell this stage is definitely Metal Man's lair. Everything here is quite metal and very industrial. Large gears are turning all around us and we start the stage on a conveyor belt and we're already being drugged forward. As we move forward, we come across a gap in the floor that we have to jump over. Simple enough. 
On the other side of the gap, we're on another conveyor belt, and that one is moving backwards. Best we watch our step, or else we're going to be dumped into the hole that we just jumped over. As we push forward against the current, jumping seems to help move us along faster. We spot an energy tank at the end of the conveyor belt that we're on, and that little beauty is something that we pick up immediately because that will definitely come in handy. Moving right along, we come across a gauntlet of metal spikes that descend from the ceiling. One false move and we'll be crushed underneath these things and take some serious damage. And we really have to be careful here because we're still on conveyor belts that are pushing us one way or another. Once we make our way past these things, now we come across these little drill-shaped robots that are drilling up and down in front of us. There's a lot of them, and there's no real way that we're getting through here without taking damage. As we make our way through, we fire our Mega Buster and take out as many of these drill thingies as we can. The only good thing about there being so many is that the chances of them dropping an energy pellet or a bigger energy ball are pretty high. We make sure to heal up on the way out of the Gauntlet of Terror. Now past the Drill Gauntlet, we continue forward and move towards the end of the conveyor belt. There's a gap that's in front of us and another conveyor belt below, but there's also one that's a little higher and a little further out. The higher one looks more enticing, so we try to build up some momentum and jump onto it. Problem is, the conveyor belt is going against us, so we're running at a snail's pace. Once we get to the end and try to make the jump, we fall and land to the belt at the bottom. As we move into the next area, we see what our prize would have been if we would have made it up there. There it was, sitting right there, an extra life. Hmm, interesting. There has to be a way up there, but how? Maybe we need something that we don't have yet. We'll talk about what it is that you need to get up there and how it'll help us a little later. When you go to take on a Robot Master, the stage that makes up their lair is specifically designed according to the Master themselves. Well, most of the time, I think. The all-metal aesthetic with the metal drill robots and the industrial conveyor belts perfectly encapsulate what Metal Man is. Every stage has its own unique music, like what you just heard playing in the background a bit earlier. While the Robot Masters don't really have a personality per se, the stage designs and music do a great job of making them each feel unique and intimidating in their own ways. The stages themselves all have a unique design and usually have some sort of a unique twist that further solidifies their unique identity. The conveyor belt system in this stage is a prime example, as well as the falling spike traps. We'll touch on another stage here in a bit, but before we can, we have to confront and defeat Metal Man. All of the stages in Mega Man 2 aren't too terribly long, especially as you get more comfortable with the controls and how you fight off your enemies. When you get to the end of a stage, you'll come across a big door that you'll need to move through. Once through, you'll pass into a hallway and then through a second door. Once you're through that door, you're standing face to face with the Robot Master that you came to destroy. And for us, it's Metal Man. Metal Man drops from the ceiling and strikes a Power Rangers pose. And at this point, another energy bar appears on screen and starts to fill up. This is Metal Man's energy. As soon as the bar fills up, the fight is on. We notice pretty quick that the floor is yet another conveyor belt. To start, it's moving us backwards and to the left. 
It's nearly impossible to run towards Metal Man, but that's the least of our problems. Metal Man starts to throw his metal blades at us. We need to watch them coming our way and carefully time our jumps to allow them to pass underneath us. And while we do this, we need to be firing our Mega Blaster in Metal Man's direction to hopefully deal some damage to him. What makes this fight worse is that Metal Man likes to jump up and down in the air himself. Oh, and the conveyor belt will sometimes switch directions on us. Ah, it's almost too much to handle, but do not lose heart, dear listener. I may be describing utter chaos, and it more or less is utter chaos in-game, but this is where you need to remain focused. Even with everything on screen, this boss fight and all the others are very beatable. This first fight might be considered one of the harder ones since you only have your Mega Buster, but even then, all you really need to do is keep shooting and time your jumps to avoid those metal blades. Stay to the left as much as you can and just keep up the fire. Little by little, you'll start to wear your foe down. Once their energy bar has been completely depleted, they're gone and you stand on the battlefield victorious. At this point, we teleport out of there. It's time now to collect our spoils of war. On the next screen, we get equipped with Metal Man's Metal Blade. Mega Man himself on screen turns a brownish color to signify what he'll look like in-game when we have this new weapon equipped. Awesome! At this point, we can look to see what our password is if we need to jot it down in case we need to step away, but if we're ready for the next Robot Master, we just need to select Stage Select, which will take us back to the screen where we choose our next Robot Master to murder. So now where do we go? While there are guides out there on the internet that tell us what robots are weak to what weapons, we really didn't have this luxury back in the day. What you're going to have to do is experiment with different weapons against different robot masters and try to come up with these conclusions yourself. Now in my mind, metal blades had to be useful against wood, right? So the next stop for me on my journey to hunt down Dr. Wily was taking out his next crony, Woodman. Once we teleport in, we find ourselves deep in the forest. Seems to make sense given our current Robot Master target. Now, the first thing we need to do is test out our new metal blades. Pressing start, we navigate the menu until we find the letter M. Once we select it, Mega Man himself changes color to that brown from before, and now we can shoot saw blades in place of our Mega Buster. Nice. Now, if that wasn't cool enough, the metal blades will shoot in all eight directions. Left, right, up, down, and diagonally. And not only that, they don't take much energy to use so we can spam the ever-living hell out of these and lay waste to most enemies in our path this way. Now, there will be the occasional enemy in the way that will be immune to the metal blades, but worry not. We can always go back to the Mega Buster at any point. Now, personally, especially when I first started playing, I didn't like using my extra weapons. I still think it goes back to my old survival horror upbringing, but I would see the weapon energy bar for what it was, an ammo counter. And ammo was limited, and therefore ammo should be cherished. 
However, once I got over that mindset, I found out that I really didn't have to worry too much about conserving energy since most enemies would drop energy tanks pretty regularly to refill my weapon. Of all the weapons we'd come across after defeating our foes, the metal blade would stay equipped more often than the others. Oh, and did I mention this thing can fly through obstacles and strike enemies? Yeah, it's pretty overpowered, and I loved it. If I had to choose which level I thought was the easiest out of all of them, I think Woodman stage is pretty easy, at least that's my opinion. There isn't too much platforming to be had, except for the end section, and I think Woodman goes down pretty easy. Especially easy if you're using our Metal Blades. When I was playing through Mega Man 2 for the first time, what really kept driving me forward was defeating the Robot Masters so I could take their abilities. I felt like Mega Man and myself as a player were getting stronger with each victory, and every new tool in the toolkit made me a much more versatile hero. Like I mentioned, the Metal Blades became my new primary weapon, but I also enjoyed the Leaf Shield that you get from Woodman when you defeat him. Using it, you create a circle of leaves around you that does damage to enemies that come in contact with you. Sometimes there will be a swarm of smaller enemies coming at you, and the leaf shield makes very short work of them. In Crash Man's level, there's a section where you have to climb several very long ladders, and these robot birds will drop these eggs that will unleash little baby birds. While you can shoot your weapons while hanging on the ladder, I found it very useful to just deploy a leaf shield and let all the little baby birds fly to their deaths. Sort of like watching them hit a bug zapper. Now the leaf shield won't stop projectiles like enemy bullets, so that's something that you're going to have to keep in mind. Also, the shield only works if you stay still. If you move in a direction while your shield is active, the shield will fly off in the direction that you push and deal damage to whatever it hits. Crashman's ability, the Crush Bomber, was probably my third favorite weapon, but not for its use as a weapon. In most of the stages that you'll venture through, there will be times that you'll come across these metal obstructions that are pretty obvious and hard to miss. The Crush Bomber is like a mine thrower. When you use it, a mine will fly out and attach itself to a wall. After a moment, it explodes, and the obstruction will be cleared away. This is useful for finding hidden passages that usually lead to items like extra lives and energy tanks. One more Robot Master ability I wanted to bring up is the Time Stopper that you get from defeating Flashman. This one gets a dishonorable mention from me because I was not able to find a single useful way to use this ability effectively in normal gameplay, with the exception of two, now that I think about it. When you use the Time Stopper ability, you guessed it, it stops time. All enemies around you will freeze in place. This sounds really awesome, and it made me think back to the pocket watch weapon in the original Castlevania game. However, this ability has some flaws. First, when you activate the ability, you can't shut it off. You can prolong it if you find any weapon energy tanks lying around, but once it's on, it's on. The ability only shuts off when you deplete your energy completely. Second, even though enemies are frozen, they can still deal contact damage to you if you touch them. Well, I can just blast them out of the way, right? Haha, <laughs> wrong. You cannot change your weapon while the time stopper is active, so if you freeze an enemy that's in your path, 
you're just going to have to take the damage and move through it when you're flashing and invulnerable for that short period of time. Because of this, I never use the Time Stopper, except for my two exceptions. Both of these instances happen when you're going to fight Quick Man. Veterans of Mega Man 2 may remember the part in the level where the laser beams start to crisscross on the screen, and if you get touched by these things, you'll die instantly. The Time Stopper is great here, so you can freeze them as you move along and there's no danger of being hit. I think there's even an extra life I don't think you're able to get otherwise if you use this. The catch, though, is even on full energy, you won't be able to get through this entire area before the effect wears off, so just bear that in mind. The second instance that this little ability was useful for was when you were actually fighting Quick Man himself. Using the Time Stopper will freeze him in place, and he'll be dealt damage as he's stuck there. Never enough to completely kill him, but enough to give you an advantage in the fight. I guess Quick Man moves so fast that not moving causes his body physical harm somehow. But anyway, those are my only two instances that I use the Time Stopper. I tried to use it against other Robot Masters, but it did not affect them. It's a fun gimmick, but a wasted one in my opinion. So I think with that, that's all I'm going to talk about in regards to the Robot Masters and their abilities. If you've played Mega Man 2 before, you probably have a good idea of what they are, and if you haven't played this game before, I think it would be cool if you did, and discovered these abilities and their uses on your own. That's half the fun, I think. I do want to quickly touch on some of the non-weapon items that you'll earn, and then segue into talking about the latter half of the game, because I have some opinions on the latter half of the game that I need to get off my chest. So quickly, after defeating Heat Man, Air Man, and Flash Man, Dr. Light will equip Mega Man with their weaponry, but he'll also equip Mega Man with some useful items that he can use. First is a levitation platform. Deploying this will create a platform that Mega Man can use to step on and jump up to a place that he couldn't have reached otherwise. Remember that extra life that I mentioned way back in Metal Man stage? Having this is how you get that extra life. The second item that you get is the Jet Sled. This is a platform that you can lay down, but once you're on it, it will fly forwards with you on it until you hit an obstacle or you run out of energy. There's a section in the Heat Man stage that you have to platform over this big lava pit. All the blocks that you have to jump on are very small, and your timing needs to be precise. Oh, and if I remember right, the blocks are disappearing as you go, so, you know, no pressure. Now, if you have the jet sled, you can just skip the whole thing and sled over from one side to the other. This was pretty awesome, and I will never take on the Heat Man stage without having this item in my possession again. The third item is called an elevator in the instruction manual, but basically, it's a levitation platform that attaches itself to the side of a wall. It can travel higher than a levitation platform before it expires too, so it's certainly useful in its own right. These extra items really expand Mega Man's mobility and platforming options and are pretty awesome to use. When we ultimately defeat all of the Robot Masters and head into Wily's Fortress, we will absolutely need these items to progress, so make sure their energy reserves are charged up whenever possible. Now that we're here at Wily's Fortress, let's talk a little bit about it, shall we? <laughs> Bye. 
While the game up to this point has been pretty choose-your-own-adventure-ish, Wily's Fortress is pretty linear. We're greeted with a map of the fortress, and as we progress, we're shown our progress from stage to stage. This was a really nice touch that I thought really solidified that we were in the final area of the game and the stakes couldn't be higher. This is it. We're about to take the fight to Dr. Wily himself. The level opens standard enough and we make our way to the fortress wall. Right off the bat, it is clear that we need to use one of the items that we acquired on our journey to navigate over top of the wall and into the compound. We scale a second wall and eventually make our way to a set of ladders where we start to climb up. The metal blade weapon is one that I found most useful as I was able to send the saw blade straight at enemies dumb enough to be waiting for me further up top. The stage continues on like this for a little while until we get to a point where we emerge on screen via a ladder from the bottom right and we need to get to a ladder that is at the very top left of the screen. And in the middle of this screen is absolutely nothing. Using our levitation platforms, we need to get Mega Man from the lower right-hand side of the screen to the upper left. I don't know what it was about this particular part of this level, but after multiple tries, I started to feel like there were some cracks showing in the game world's design at this point, but nah, I'm sure it was nothing. As we continue, we're met with an area where we need to move to the right, and there's only a couple of blocks for us to jump on. One wrong move and we will plummet to our deaths below. At this point in the game though, we're practically platforming experts so we make our way over, no problem. But as we do, a giant robot dragon flies up from the bottom of the screen and knocks away some of the blocks behind us. The screen starts to auto-scroll to the right as the dragon is hot on our heels. This was pretty intense, as one misstep would spell doom. Once we get to the end of this chase scene, we're left suspended in the air with only three blocks to stand on. At this point, the dragon starts to move around and shoots fireballs in our direction. The worst part about only being able to use these three blocks to stand on is that if we get hit by a fireball, there's some pretty decent knockback, and Mega Man runs the risk of falling off the block entirely and falling to his grisly death. I found standing on the topmost block and continually firing the quick boomerangs that we get from Quickman actually do the job quite effectively. Once the dragon is slain, it's off to the next level. There are six stages in Dr. Wily's Fortress, not counting the final battle, but it's around stage four where things started to fall apart for me personally. I think Mega Man 2 is a fantastic game, don't get me wrong but I felt like things seemed a little rushed from a development standpoint when we got to this point in the gameplay. I'm not a game designer or anything, but let me see if I can explain where things started to fall apart for me when it came to my experience with Mega Man 2. So like I said, it starts to go all wrong for me around stage 4. The stage itself starts off pretty unassuming though. Though as we start to progress through it, there are areas of the floor that are actually pitfalls that Mega Man will just fall through where he'll find himself falling to a level below. That was pretty annoying, but nothing too frustrating. These invisible pitfalls keep showing up though, and there's even a pitfall over a pit of spikes that, if you fall onto them, causes instant death. That was even more so annoying. 
I did find out, though, that if you use the bubble lead ability, the bubble you fire will travel along the ground so that if there is a pitfall that you can't see, your bubble will fall down, exposing the trap. I can't decide if this was an awesome design choice by the developers or just a happy accident that I discovered. Either way, we push past and find ourselves having to navigate these long elevator sections of the game where you have to wait for a moving platform to make it to you and you have to use it to get to the next area, all while avoiding traps or environmental obstacles that can knock you off the platform and then to, you guessed it, your death. Sometimes enemies might float in from either side of the screen and they can be dispatched easily enough, but given that there are no real platforms that you can stand on safely, any weapon tanks or energy balls tend to just fall away out of reach. It forced me to really be aware of how I was using my weapons. I ran the risk of running them dry before the end of the level and I really didn't want this to happen, especially when it comes to the crash bomber weapon. You see, when you get to this stage's final battle, you'll find that it's against five of these laser turrets that are embedded into the walls. These turrets will only take damage from the crash bomber. What adds to the frustration here is that there are multiple of these breakable panels that can only be removed by the crash bomber, and some of these blocks are blocking access to some of the laser turrets. No problem though, right? We can just crash bomb them out of the way and expose the turrets. Easy. Actually though, there's one critical thing to consider. There are five breakable panels in this area and five turrets. At full charge, the crash bomber can only fire seven shots. We can only remove two of the panels while saving five shots for the turrets themselves. It's worth pointing out too that not every turret is hiding behind a breakable panel. Sometimes you can kind of wiggle yourself around. You just have to destroy the right panels and be able to save those seven shots. Now on the surface, this sounds like an interesting puzzle to solve. The stakes are certainly high too. Every few seconds, the laser turrets fire and send a barrage of lasers towards our heroic blue hero. We have to stay alive long enough to figure out how to kill all the turrets by figuring out what two panels we can destroy that will give us access to all the turrets. Oh, and there is no way to refill your weapon energy in this battle either. One wrong move and you are screwed. You'll just have to take the L and try again if you run out of weapon energy. What makes this even worse is that the game will start you back at the beginning of that very long elevator section that I just got done complaining about. This was super frustrating. So speaking about all of that, let's think about this for a moment. Let's assume, like I did, that we have no idea we're going to need a fully charged crash bomber to get through this fight. Maybe we're using it on our way through this level because we like it or we just want to experiment a little. There was a point where I had actually gotten to this laser turret battle with barely half an energy bar left in my crash bomber weapon. I was fucked from the start. Why would I be given all these amazing abilities and be penalized for using them? Eventually, I had to kill myself and take a game over in order to start the level over again. But when you die and lose all your lives, any energy tanks that you've collected at this point are lost. That stung a lot, and I was not impressed. My love for this game took a serious hit at this point. But I'm sure it was just this one level, and everything will be better by the end, right? 
Before we take on Dr. Wily himself, there's an area we come across where we have to fight all of the robot masters again before we can move on. It's effectively a boss rush stage. I don't dislike things in video games too much, but there are a couple things that just make me grit my teeth. One of these things happens to be boss rushes. One of the other things are slider puzzles in video games, but that's a rant for another game. Now, a boss rush is where you face the bosses that you've already defeated again in a gauntlet, one after the other. These types of things have always come off to me like filler. We're made to fight bosses again that we've already mastered and defeated, just so that the game experience can be extended. Now, this isn't really that horrible, and I'm probably just complaining more than anything, but this entire section was uninteresting to me. The plus side, though, is that you'll have all the Robot Master abilities at this point, so it's just a matter of using whatever weapon that they're weak against for some easy victories. And to top that off, defeating a Robot Master will make it drop a health item so you can replenish between battles, so that was nice. Once we redefeat all the Robot Knuckleheads, it's off to tackle Dr. Wily and see if we can bring him down once and for all. When Wily comes on screen, he's in a pretty cool-looking spaceship-looking machine. This fight will have two phases. The first one is simple enough. He fires these energy balls from the bottom of his ship that will curve down and then curve back up. If you just be a little patient and work on the timing, you can jump over them while firing your weapon in midair, dealing damage. Simple enough. I can't remember offhand what weapon is best to use here, but I have heard that if you still have a crash bomb left, it makes the second stage of this fight in definitely easier, as it only takes one bomb to put down Dr. Wily. I have not personally confirmed this myself, but I'm just reading what the internet tells me. But if you're like me, and you don't have a crash bomb left in your inventory at this point, you'll have to fight him toe-to-toe. In his second form, Wily's energy ball fires much more frequently, and instead of the energy balls flying towards you at a low arch, he'll drop the balls on the ground and they'll bounce towards you. There's no real pattern to discern here. If Wily drops a couple balls close together and the bounce heights are varied, you're pretty well screwed here and you're going to take damage no matter what you do. The best way I can describe this fight is by calling it a war of attrition. You're both just going to be firing your weapons, hoping to do enough damage to Wily before he kills you. And that's really it. No strategy to figure out, no aha moment. It's just a slugfest, and that left me feeling pretty disappointed. But it is what it is, and when we finally defeat Wily, we're actually sent to the final stage of the game where we have to defeat Wily one last time. This fight, to me, was yet another disappointment. When you confront Wily, he transforms into an alien-looking thing and starts to fly around the room and shoots a single bullet at you. And that's it. The incoming fire is pretty easy to dodge for the most part, but what makes this fight disappointing to me is the fact that only one weapon will deal damage to the boss, and that's your bubble lead ability. The weapon that's designed to be used on the ground has to be used against a floating enemy. Fair enough though, it's still pretty easy to deal damage to your enemy, but you better hope that you didn't use too much of your bubble lead during that boss rush stage, because if you don't have enough to defeat Wily, you may as well just stand around and wait for yourself to be killed. 
But what about all the other weapons you have? Don't any of those work? As a matter of fact, yes, they work extremely well. At refilling the boss's health to maximum. Yes, if you hit the last boss with anything but the bubble-led weapon, you will refill his health. Now, this really isn't a bad thing if you have enough bubble lead to use, but if you don't, the only way to refill it at this point would be to stand there and let yourself die and collect the game over. You won't lose a ton of progress or anything, but it is really dumb. For me, if you're going to have a final boss in your game, you should make the showdown something challenging and fun, not an experience in tedium that can potentially waste your time. What they should have done was put a few weapon energy power-ups right before the battle started, and make them available if you die and go back a second time. This way, you could go into the fight and win it or lose it depending on your skill, instead of just hoping you have enough ammunition. Or, as an alternative, make the final boss damageable with the Mega Buster. So even though it may be a weak weapon, you will always have a fighting chance. When I finally did win the day and the final boss was defeated, I sighed and muttered to myself, finally, under my breath. I did not feel triumphant at all, I was just glad the experience was over. And that is not at all how I was expecting to feel. But all told, I was extremely happy to have played this game, and I had a genuinely good time doing so, and I had great fun throughout 85% of the game. Once I got to about stage 4 in Wily's Fortress, it all felt a little rushed to me, almost a little cheap in some spots. When I take a step back and really think about all the abilities I gained from defeating the Robot Masters, I actually didn't use a good portion of them. While you would think multiple abilities would mean multiple ways to clear a stage, I tended to just stick to one or two weapon types throughout most of the game. Now granted, you can certainly play through the game again and try to use different weapons as you go, and that's just fine. My first playthrough had me feeling like I needed to stick with what I knew worked, and I had no reason to experiment with anything else too often. But you can't deny how cool it feels to acquire these new powers and feel yourself evolving as a robot yourself the more tricks that you can pull out of your hat. And while I had a difficult time getting my footing when I first started playing Mega Man 2, I grew to become a better player and I died less often as I went. The game really is fun to get good at, and even if I did die, I never felt like my deaths were too terribly cheap. What kept me moving forward more than anything though, was the game's amazing soundtrack. I had no problem replaying an area with these tunes playing, all of them felt like a call to action of sorts, if that makes any sense. They just pumped you up in the right way, and I would find myself slightly nodding my head in time with the music when I was in the zone. Mega Man 2's soundtrack is still one that I listen to on occasion today, and it easily sits in my top 10 list of favorite game soundtracks of all time. I would go so far as to say that this game would probably be something completely different if there was a lesser soundtrack coming out of my TV speakers. So as we wrap it all up, Mega Man 2 more than deserves its place at the top of some people's greatest games of all time lists. 
It's an absolute blast to play through, and even despite the personal flaws that I have near the game's conclusion, I'm eager to continue to play through it. I especially want to give it a go on the game's difficult setting, and see if I have what it takes to come out on top. The more I stare at this game, though, the more I can find myself picking at its rough edges. But I don't really want to do that. It was clear that Mega Man 2 had a vision for itself in mind, and I just wish the developers were able to polish it up like I assumed they intended to. But even with the rough edges that I'm finding, Mega Man 2 is undoubtedly responsible for many of the games that have come after it. It is a staple when it comes to retro games, and if you have a means to play it, you absolutely should. I know there are some Mega Man Legacy collections out there on some of the last-gen and current-gen consoles, so get after it, my friends. I was happy to have played this game, and I will absolutely play this game again. We come to the end of episode 17 of the Retro Wildlands, Mega Man 2 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you very much for listening to the show today. From the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out and give the show some of your valuable time. I hope it was a good listen, and I hope you had a good time. I know I ended the episode talking about the things that I didn't really care for about this game, but I really do mean it when I say that I enjoyed the hell out of it. I'm glad I finally got a chance to play through this game and see what all the hubbub was about. At some point down the road, though, I'm gonna have to check out Mega Man 3 since I feel like most people's favorites in this series are either one or the other. Not counting the Mega Man X games, though, I get the impression that these games are kind of their own unique beasts. Still, there's plenty of Mega Man to be played, so I expect them to be back on the podcast at some point down the road. If you got to this point and you really like the show, please consider subscribing or following it on your preferred podcasting platform. This way, when new episodes go live, you'll be notified. I try my absolute best to have these episodes completed and uploaded stupid early on Thursday mornings, but that doesn't always work out given my hectic work schedule and family life. So if you subscribe or follow, you won't have to sit there refreshing your podcasting app, it'll just tell you when new content is available. Also, if your platform lets you, I'd appreciate it if you left us a good review if you like what I'm doing here. While a good review would absolutely stroke my ego, good reviews help circulate the podcast around so it's a great way to support the show and help spread it around. But the absolute best way you can show support to the show is to spread the word about it. Tell your friends about the Retro Wildlands. Go tell your family. Hell, you can even tell the cashier at the grocery store when you go to use your debit card to pay for some of your stuff, and the card reader is taking way too long to process payment. Instead of letting the cashier say something like, Man, computers are slow today, huh? Cancel that out by talking about the podcast. Little by little, we grow just a little bit more every week, and spreading the word would be really awesome if you like the show. 
Another way you can spread the word about the show or interact with it would be on social media. We have a presence over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you search at Retro Wildlands. Each day I'm trying to add new and hopefully interesting content, so if you want to spice up your feeds and timelines with some gaming goodness and potentially a cute photo or two of my extremely needy canine companions, throw us a follow. You'll be able to check out what games are coming down the pipeline ahead of time or what other content I whip together. If that's something you've been enjoying, want to see more of, or have another idea in mind that I could use social media for, please let me know. Plus, be on the lookout over the weekends. I'm going to continue to put a call out to anyone who wants to have their comments or questions read during that show's intro, so follow us on social to jump on that opportunity if that is something that interests you. Plus, the best way to get a hold of me directly is through social media. I tend to get on it a few times a day, so if you wanted to give me some direct feedback about the show, or just shoot the shit about games or whatever else, that's how you do it. So, what's coming up next week? Well, we're 17 episodes into this podcast, and so far it's been strictly retro games. And I know retro is kind of in the title, but still. I've been wanting to slide in a more modern game, but those tend to be longer to complete than others, and I much prefer going back to playing a game that I've completed before doing an actual episode on it. That said, I have a few games in mind that I want to talk about in the modern realm, but haven't really decided on any. I still need to replay The Last of Us and finish The Last of Us Part 2 now that I think about it, so those will be coming up on the show at some point, I just don't know when I'm going to get to them. As far as other retro games go, I've been in the mood for another beat-em-up lately. I was thinking about Super Mario World on the SNES, but haven't made it a point to sit back down with that one yet. Not sure what's going to scratch the itch this week, but I'm keeping my eyes open. Again, I think it's going to come down to what my heart lusts after after I start scanning my gaming library again, so we'll just have to see how it plays out. I did say at one point in one episode that I do have some episodes planned ahead of time, but finding the time to sit down with some of these games has been kind of a challenge. Now that said, if you have a suggestion on a game that I should cover, or you're just eager to see what game I decide on in the next few days, be sure to follow us on social media. I tend to post what's next over the weekend, so be on the lookout. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. <laughs>